Chapter Thirty Six of From Jest to Earnest by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Thirty Six: A Night in the Snow. Where have you been? Exclaimed Addie as Lottie came down, dressed warmly but plainly. We are all through lunch and ready to start. I will not detain you, but will wrap up some lunch and take it with me. May I sit with you? She said to Hemstead, a little later, as she came out where he was standing on the piazza. You will be very much exposed to the cold on the driver's seat, Miss Marsden, he said hesitatingly. But she saw well enough what he wished, though conscience was condemning him all the time. So will you, she answered. Yes, but I am a man. And I am a woman, she said, with something of her old piquant style. I do not like your implied assertion of superiority, sir. I have as good a right to expose myself to the cold as a man. I was not disputing your right, Miss Marston, but— Oh, I understand. You are one of those who think so poorly of women as to regard them merely as men's pets. The weaker sex, you would call us, who prefer to wait till everything is made nice and comfortable and then languidly step forward in your reading of history i think you must have skipped several chapters you do me injustice said hemstead warmly and falling blindly into her trap if i had skipped all the chapters which treat of woman's heroism in doing and suffering i should indeed know little of history she has proved herself the equal and at times the superior of man pardon me said lottie in a hurt and injured tone i shall reach the unwelcome truth at last it is not woman in general who is weak but lottie marsden in particular i am very sorry that you have so poor an opinion of me and i shall try to change it somewhat by enduring on this drive all the exposure and cold that you can as the sleigh just then came up she settled the question by springing in and taking her place on the driver's seat Hemstead was perfectly nonplussed, and Mr. Dimmerly, who had stood in the door and heard what had been said, retreated rapidly as he broke out into the most irrepressible chuckle in which he had yet indulged. Now, Miss Lottie, whined De Forest, coming out muffled to his eyes, are you going to sit there? Certainly. You have Addie and Bell to talk to. Did you suppose that Mr. Hemstead was to be treated like a coachman, because he kindly consented to drive us over? Let me drive, then. No, indeed, cried Bell and Addie in chorus. We won't trust to your driving. So De Forest, with very poor grace, took his seat with them, and with his back to those whom he would have gladly watched most suspiciously. He had grown desperately jealous of Hemstead and yet his vanity would not permit him to believe it possible that Lottie Marsden, of all others, could be won to such a life as the predestined missionary would lead. Like the narrow rationalists of this world, he was ever underrating the power of that kind of truth with which Hemstead was identified. To all of his class, the apparent self-sacrifice caused by love to God and its kindred flame, love, not a passion, for some human object, has ever appeared both stupid and irrational. He did not understand Lottie, and could only curse the wretched visit, and wish it over every moment. When she returned to her accustomed life in New York, 
she would he believed soon be her old self since he could not watch lottie and hemstead he tried to use his ears as far as possible but the noisy bells drowned their voices so that he could catch but few words he was somewhat comforted in the fact that at first they did not appear to have very much to say to each other hemstead tried to introduce various topics remote from the thoughts that were weighing upon both their hearts but lottie did not sustain his effort she maintained her hurt and injured air until at last he could no longer endure her grieved sad face and said in a low tone and could you imagine that i regard you of all others as weak and unwomanly what else could i think from your words i admit i have given you cause to think very poorly of me indeed still it's anything but pleasant to be so regarded by those whose esteem we value but i do not think poorly of you at all said hemstead half desperately how little you understand me i understand you better than you do me you are a man you have high aims and have chosen a noble calling but you have virtually said that i am only a woman and a very ordinary one at that not capable of emulating the lives of my heroic sisters i must be shielded from the rough wind while you in your superiority can face it as a matter of course and your latter words intimate that so figuratively it will always be in my case weak womanly shrinking and cowering ever shielded by something or somebody history to be sure records what women may do but that is a very different thing from what miss marsden will do you go to extremes miss marsden and infer far more than the occasion warrants hemstead replied in great perplexity was it unnatural that i wished you to be shielded from the cold and was it unnatural she answered that since one of our party must be exposed to the cold i should be willing to share in the exposure but it is to your later words that i refer and not the trifling incident that led to them they with your manner revealed perhaps more than you intended you once said i was capable of the noblest things i knew that was not true then and to my lasting regret and i proved the fact to you but i think i have changed somewhat since that time at least i hope i am no longer capable of the meanest things miss marston he said impetuously you now give me credit for knowing you better than at that time yes and you have evidently revised your opinion very materially but as i said before i can scarcely complain when i remember my own action but you will never know how bitterly i have repented of my folly when that terrible charge was made against me last monday it came when i was so happy and hopeful like a sudden thunderbolt i thought i should lose my reason i felt that you had gone away believing i was utterly false and had been insincere in everything from first to last i was like one who had fallen from a great height and i scarcely spoke or moved for two days i was not like some girls who could imagine they can find a remedy for their troubles in wealth and luxury and attention from others i have had these things all my life and i know how little they are worth how little they can do for one at such times no one will ever know what i suffered at first when you thought so well of me i deserved your harshest condemnation 
but it did seem cruel hard when i was honestly trying to be better when at last my life had become real and true to be cast aside as a false thing that must of necessity be despised i dreaded last night that you were going away without giving me any chance to explain and correct my folly i did mean that monday to tell you the truth and should have done so if you had given me a chance i should have condemned myself then and i do now more severely than even you could who had such just cause for anger but mr hemstead i have changed in all sincerity i say it i wish to become a good christian girl and would do so if i only knew how i was not deceiving you when i said last christmas eve that i hoped i had become a christian i still think i have though for two days i was in thick darkness at any rate i love my saviour and he has helped and comforted me in this greatest trial and sorrow of my life i was led to hope that you would forgive me because he seemed so ready to forgive there i have now done what i have been most anxious to do i have told you the truth i have said all that i can justly in self-defence if i have not raised your opinion of me very greatly i cannot help it for henceforth i intend to be honest whatever happens lottie had said the words she so wished to speak in a low tone but with almost passionate earnestness and no one could have doubted their truth a moment the horses had been trotting briskly over the level ground at the foot of the steep mountain slope and the noisy bells that made musical accompaniment to her words as heard by hemstead disguised them from de forest and the others the student received each one as if it were a pearl of great price but now the horses mounting the steep ascent had come to a walk and the chime of the bells was not sufficient to drown his words if he had answered as his feelings dictated the attention of the others would have been gained in a most embarrassing way he could only say in a very low voice i believe and trust you fully but lottie heard and welcomed the assurance the light of the sun that had been too brilliant upon the snow was now becoming softened by an increasing haze the air was growing milder and the branches of the bowed evergreens by the wayside suddenly lifted themselves as the hold of the fleecy burdens was loosened and the miniature avalanches dropped away at times they reached points from which the magnificent and broadening landscape could be seen to the best advantage and as hemstead stopped the horses at such places to rest even bell and addie abounded in exclamations of delight the river had become a vast white plain and stretched far away to the north the scene was one that would have filled hemstead with delight upon any other occasion but lottie was now well pleased to note that he gave to it hurried glances and little thought his face was a study and more clearly than he realized betrayed the perplexity and trouble of his mind how could he give up the lovely girl at his side whose very imperfection and need won more upon him than any display of conscious strength and advanced spirituality her frankness her humility and severe self-condemnation appealed to every generous trait of his large charitable nature he now believed as never before that she was capable of the noblest things and he began to suffer from the torturing thought that his course was a mistaken one 
and that he wronged her by acting upon the supposition that her old surroundings of luxury and culture were essential to her happiness might it not be true that in a nature like hers something far more profound was needed to create and sustain true serenity of heart had she not in effect plainly said that she had fathomed the shallow depths of luxury wealth and general flattering attention had she not unconsciously given him a severe rebuke what right had he to assume that he was any more capable of heroic self-sacrifice than she only the certainty that he was sacrificing himself for her happiness enabled him to make the sacrifice at all and now he began to think that his course might be a wretched blunder which would blight them both the very possibility of making such a mistake was agony to have come so near happiness and then to miss it by a great wrong to her as to himself would be more than fortitude itself could endure his uncle's words were ever present if lottie loved it would be no halfway business he had no right to sacrifice her happiness it was her happiness that he was thinking of and if he could secure it best by consummating his own at the same time it seemed to him that heaven would begin at once a trivial circumstance had enabled lottie to intimate plainly to him that he had virtually asserted i am a man and can do that of which only the noblest and most unselfish natures are capable you are not only a woman you cannot rise to the level of many of your sisters who have left on history's page the heroic records of their triumphs over the supposed weakness of their sex what he had not meant but still had appeared to hint from his language was he not in fact practically acting upon as true while he had taken his course in the spirit of the most generous self-sacrifice might he not at the same time be ignoring the fact that she was capable of self-sacrifice and noble consecration to a sacred cause as himself if she had been sincere in her religious experiences and in all her words and actions in that direction how could he help believing that she was equally sincere in the language of tone and eye which had revealed her heart so plainly that even he who was the last in the world to presume had come to think that she loved him and yet he was about to make his life and perhaps hers also one long regret because he had quietly assumed that she was one of those women whose life depends on surroundings and to whose souls mere things can minister more than love and the consciousness of an heroic devotion to a sacred cause lottie had skilfully and clearly given the impression she sought to convey and this impression uniting with the student's love formed a combination whose assaults caused his supposed inflexible purpose to waver lottie's quick intuition enabled her to see that she had led him far enough at present while they were in such close proximity to jealous observant eyes and attentive ears and so with equal tact she led his thoughts to more tranquilizing topics she was employing all the skill and finesse of which she had been mistress in the days of her insincerity and heartless coquetry these gifts were still hers as much as ever but now they were under the control of conscience and would henceforth be used to secure and promote happiness not to destroy it and she felt that she had need of tact and skill the situation was not so very peculiar 
many had passed through just such experiences before but have all passed on to lives of consummated happiness she loved the man at her side devotedly and was perfectly aware of his love for her and yet woman's silence was upon her lips they were soon to separate not to meet again for many years if ever she could not speak if from any motive even the noblest he did not speak how could she meet the long lonely future in which every day would make more clear the dreary truth that she had missed her true life and happiness missed it through no necessity that might in the end bring resignation but through a mistake the unselfish blundering of a man who wrongly supposed she could be happier without than with him it was her delicate task to show him without abating one jot of woman's jealous reserve that she was capable of all the self-sacrifice to which he looked forward and that as his uncle had told him he had no right to sacrifice her happiness he was one of those single-hearted resolute fellows who have the greatest faculty for persistently blundering under an honest but wrong impression but in this case his impression was natural and he was wrong only because lottie was capable of noble things only because she did belong to that class of women to whom the love of their heart counts for infinitely more than all externals if he had fallen in love with a very goodish sort of girl of the bell parton type the course he had marked out would have been the wisest and best eventually for both even though it involved at first a good deal of suffering when a wife assures her husband by word or manner you took advantage of my love and inexperience to commit me to a life and condition that are distasteful or revolting and you have thereby inflicted an irreparable injury the man if he be fine-fibred and sensitive can only look forward to a painful and aggravated form of martyrdom one had better live alone as long as methuselah than induce a small-souled woman to enter with him on a life involving continual sacrifice with such women some men can be tolerably happy if they have the means to carry out the gilded cage principle but woe to them both if the gilded cage is broken or lost and they have to go out into the great world and build their nest wherever they can providence had given to lottie the chance to live the life of ideal womanhood the life of love and devotion and she did not mean to lose it while her high spirit would often chafe with a little wholesome friction it would yet grow sweeter and more patient under the trials of the hardest lot if they could only be endured at his side to whom by some mystic necessity of her being she had given her heart therefore with unmingled satisfaction she saw that she was sapping the student's stern resolution not to speak she would by a witchery as innocent as subtle beguile him into just the opposite of what he had proposed as she had declared to her uncle he should ask her in a very humble manner to become a home missionary and she under the circumstances was more ready to comply than to become empress of all the rushes but during the remainder of the ride she made the time pass all too quickly as she led him to speak of his student life his western home and especially of his mother and lottie smiled appreciatively over the enthusiasm and affection which he manifested for one concerning whom she had ever heard mrs marchmont speak a little slightingly the genuine interest which she took in all that related to mrs hemstead 
touched the young man very closely, and his whole nature was getting under arms against what his heart was beginning to characterize as a most unnatural and stupid resolution. De Forest was greatly relieved as he heard Hemstead describing his humble farmhouse home and toiling mother, for the student softened none of the hard outlines of their comparative poverty. The great fool, thought the exquisite, even if Lottie were inclined to care for him somewhat, he has repelled her now by revealing his common and poverty-stricken surroundings. But as Lottie became satisfied that Hemstead would not be able to go away in silence, a new cause of trouble and perplexity claimed her attention. Not that she had not thought of it often, since she had realized how irrevocably she had given her love, but other and more immediate questions had occupied her mind. How was she to reconcile her fashionable mother and worldly father to her choice? She clearly recognized that to her what seemed the most natural, indeed the only thing in life left for her, would appear to one simply monstrous, and to the other the baldest folly. She loved her parents sincerely, for with all her faults she had never been cold-hearted, and, while she proposed to be resolute, it was with the deepest anxiety and regret that she foresaw the inevitable conflict. But when she was at a loss to think of anything that could be said to soften the blow, or make her course appear right or reasonable, as they would look at it, a circumstance occurred which led, as she then believed, to the solution of the problem. After driving between two and three hours, they reached West Point in safety, and, as they were passing along by the officers' quarters, Lottie recognized a young lady who was one of her most intimate city friends, and who, she soon learned, was making a visit in the country like herself. Lottie told Bell and Addie to go on to the dancing hall, while she called on her friend, adding, I will soon join you. The relations between Lottie and her friend were rather confidential, and the latter soon bubbled over with her secret. She was engaged to a cadet, who would graduate in the following June. But he is away down towards the end of his class, and so, of course, will have to go out upon the plains, she said with a little sigh. What will you do, then? asked Lottie quickly, a bright thought striking her. You surely will not exchange your elegant city home for barracks in some remote fort, where you may be scalped any night. I surely will, said the vivacious young lady, and if you ever become half as much in love as I am, it won't seem a bit strange. But what do your parents say to all this? Oh, well, of course they would much prefer that I should marry and settle in New York, but then, you know, mother always had a great admiration for the army and it's quite the thing, in fashionable life, to marry into the army and navy. Why, bless you, Lottie, nearly all the ladies on the post have seen the roughest times imaginable on the frontier, and they come from as good families, and very many of them have left as good homes as mine. But how are you going to live on a lieutenant's pay? I have known you to spend more than that on your own dresses in a single year. What are dresses compared with lieutenant ransom? I can learn to economize as well as the rest of them. You can't have everything, Lottie. You know what an officer's rank is. It gives him the entree into the best society of the land, and often opens the way for the most brilliant career. These things reconcile father and mother to it, 
but i look at the man himself he's just splendid come we'll go over to the hall and i will introduce you and let you dance with him once only once you incorrigible flirt or you will steal him away from me after all by the way who was that handsome man who drove i fear you bewitched him coming over the mountain from the way his eyes followed you how does he compare with your lieutenant ransom asked lottie no one can compare with him but why do you ask is there anything serious will you think so when i tell you that he enters next summer on the life of a home missionary on the western frontier oh how dismal exclaimed the young lady no indeed no danger of your giving him serious thoughts but you ought not to flirt with such a man lottie i do not intend to nor with any one else any more but why do you say how dismal your lieutenant will have as rough a frontier life as mr hemstead and surely the calling of ministry is second to none well it seems very different nobody thinks much of a home missionary why lottie none of our set ever married a home missionary while several have married into the army and navy so for heaven's sake don't let your head become turned by one who looks forward to such a forlorn life but here we are and i will make you envious in a moment miss marston said hemstead stepping forward as they were entering i do not like to hasten you but there is every appearance of a storm and the wind is rising i wish you could induce addie to start soon i will go to the trophy room for a little while and then we'll drive around you may rest assured i will do my best said lottie i am ready to start now beware of that man said her friend his eyes tell the same story that i see in lieutenant ransom's you have become a little lady of one idea said lottie laughing and blushing and all the world is in love in your estimation when hemstead drove to the door the snowflakes were beginning to fly and the wind had increased in force but bell was not ready and addie would not hear of their going till the hours set apart for dancing were over even then she permitted her cadet friends to detain her several minutes longer as the others were in a certain sense her guests they were delicate about urging her departure thus it happened that the early december twilight was coming on and the air was full of wildly flying snow as the last words were said and the horses dashed off for the mountains but the storm increased in violence every moment and the air was so filled with flakes that the young people could not see twenty feet before them what caused hemstead uneasiness was the fact that the sheltered road that led from the point along the southern base of the mountains for a long distance before coming to any great ascent was already somewhat clogged with drifts above on the mountain's crest he heard a sound as if the north wind were blowing strongly he grew very anxious and finally said as they reached the point where the road began to rise rapidly that he thought the attempt to cross that night involved much risk but addie would not hear of their returning her mother would go wild about them and would never let her come again it has not snowed very much yet and if we wait till to-morrow it may be very deep the drifts are what i fear said hemstead there were no bad drifts this afternoon said addie and surely they cannot be deep yet 
since the following day was sunday and new year's also it was agreed that they should push on to return would involve much that was disagreeable to the party and create great alarm at mrs marchmont's it will just result in their sending after us this dreadful night said addie i don't see why it must storm just when one most wishes it wouldn't we ought to have started sooner said bell i knew the delay was very wrong but we were having such a good time de forest having vainly sought to get lottie to sit with him had sulkily taken his seat just behind her and hemstead where he was the most sheltered of the party and not supposing there was any real danger had muffled himself up so that he was almost past speaking or hearing he had nearly resolved with some sullenness to let matters take their course until the cursed visit was over new york and not the barbarous dreary country was the place where he shone and when there once more he would soon regain his old ascendancy over lottie and she of course would forget this western monster he noticed during the first mile that hemstead and lottie scarcely spoke to each other and as the storm increased he concluded there was no danger of their making love when if they opened their mouths to speak the wind would fill them with snow but hemstead and lottie scarcely needed language the old subtle interchange of thought and sympathy had been regained every moment she sat bravely with him facing the storm that wild night seemed an assurance that she was both able and willing to face every storm of life at his side but as the wind grew more violent and drove the sharp crystals into their faces with stinging force he out of regard for her comfort said miss marsden it is both brave and kind of you to sit here so patiently but really the wind is growing too severe even if i had had the impression which you were so mistaken as to charge me with long before this it would have been banished forever by your words and action if you will take the next seat and sit with your back to the wind you will not feel it half so much will you do the same she asked i cannot then neither can i i shall keep my word mr hemstead you are a brave girl miss marsden well that is nothing why have i not as good a right to be a brave girl as you to be a brave man you also appear to have the ability oh i don't deserve any credit i'm not a bit afraid indeed i rather enjoy it i've plenty of warm blood and can make as good a fight against the north wind as yourself this isn't half as hard as facing evil and unhappy thoughts before a blazing fire and i have had too much of that to do of late to complain of this but it seems a miracle to me that one with your antecedents can regard the situation in any way save with unqualified disgust do you regard the situation with unqualified disgust well to tell the truth were it not for my anxiety about getting you all home safely i was never in a situation to enjoy myself more what precious fools we two must be in the world's estimation we both have admitted that we are enjoying ourselves under circumstances in which only mark tapley i think could be jolly and the gale bore away her mirthful laugh like a shred from a silver flag oh dear whined bell and daddy it's perfectly awful and awful indeed it became a few minutes later for having passed over a steep but sheltered section of the road 
they came to a point where the northeast wind struck them strongly at the same moment the storm appeared to develop into tenfold intensity and to equal those terrible tempests on the prairies in which hemstead remembered with a shudder that strong men and horses had perished within a few yards of shelter they alas were now a long way from any house and in the midst of the lonely mountains it had also become so dark that he had to leave the choice of road mainly to the horses at first these sagacious animals stopped and refused to go any farther hemstead waited a few moments in hope that the gust or gale would expend itself and in the meantime instinctively put his arm around lottie to keep her from being blown off the seat miss marsden he said close to her ear pardon me but i fear this tempest will carry you away the horrible thought crossed my mind that you might be caught in a sort of whirlwind and spirited off in this thick darkness where i could not find you would it trouble you very much if you could not find me oh don't speak of it i would give years of my life if you were safe at home don't be so reckless with your years i am very well content to be where i am but there is danger there is no more danger for me than for you are you not afraid i am just about as much afraid as you are and to his amazement he found her laughing well he exclaimed if you can laugh under these circumstances you exceed any woman i ever read or heard of we are in twice as much danger as when i went out in the boat the other night are you now satisfied that lottie marston in particular is not weak and cowardly as compared with her brave sisters before he could answer de forest growled why don't you go on addie and bell were cowering in the bottom of the sleigh and supposed he was merely giving the horses a rest just then there appeared a momentary lull in the gale so he merely said forgive me for even seeming to hint to the contrary and he then urged the horses forward the road now presented its side to the wind and so was filled with drifts while its lower side was a precipitous bank that shelved off into unknown depths the horses plunged with difficulty through one drift and the sleigh tipped dangerously addie and bell screamed and de forest began in trepidation to realize their situation the poor beasts were soon floundering through another drift suddenly there came a sharp crack as if something had broken and one of the horses appeared to have fallen worse still the lower runner of the sleigh seemed sinking into the snow to the degree that a moment later they would be overturned into the darkness that yawned in the direction of the steep mountain slope hemstead instantly sprang out on the lower side with the purpose of preventing the accident lottie as quickly sprang out on the upper side and cried you push and i will hold and so it happened that she did quite as much as he in saving the party from disaster indeed if the sleigh had gone over it would have carried him who was on the lower side down with it the horses in their wise instinct keeping still hemstead first came round to where lottie stood why miss marsden he exclaimed you are up to your waist in snow well it won't drown me this is a great deal better than rolling down the mountain i could kneel at your feet said the student fervently ha 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 laughed lottie you couldn't find them this is no laughing matter said de forest at last aroused to their danger 
and standing up for the first time. Then get out and do something, like Miss Marsden, said Hemstead. Come, write up the sleigh while I look after the horses. A little later he came back to Lottie and said, Miss Marsden, I scarcely dare tell you the truth. The tongue of the sleigh and some of the most important parts of the harness are broken. Besides, I have been up the road a short distance, and there are drifts that are up to the horses' necks. I fear we can go no farther. Oh, God, he added in agony, what can I do for you? The idea of your perishing with cold in this horrible place tonight. Lottie laid her hand upon his arm and said earnestly, Mr. Hemstead, please let there be no more such talk. It's no worse for me than for you. Besides, if we will trust God and use our wits, there is no need of any one's perishing. If we were out of the wind, it would not be so very cold. Why, there is enough warmth in the big bodies of those horses to keep us from freezing if it comes to the worst. There, he exclaimed, you have given me hope and courage, and in a sentence. The coachman was captain on my former occasion of danger, and you shall be captain now. You have the clearest and best head of the party. I am at your service. Will you do as I bid you? Yes. Take care of yourself somewhat, then. I can best do that by taking care of you. You can do nothing pleasing to me that will bring harm to yourself, she said. We must get out of the wind, and if nothing better offers, must bury ourselves in the snow beside the horses. I remember reading of such things. The sleigh robes and the warmth of their bodies would keep us from freezing. I'm not so very cold. Addie and Bell were crying bitterly, while De Forest was groaning and cursing from where he stood behind the sleigh. Come, he shouted, what's to be done? I will go straight up the bank. I may find a ledge or some rocks under which we may cower, said Hemstead. Don't go far, said Lottie eagerly. I should indeed lose hope if you became separated from us. He soon returned with the joyful news that a little way up the bank was a high ledge, where they would be completely sheltered from the wind. Soon he had them all under it, and the respite from the driving gale was welcomed by none more than by Lottie, who in spite of her courage and sustaining excitement was beginning to suffer greatly. De Forest, being a smoker, had matches, but in his impatience to light a fire destroyed most of them. Here, Julian, give them to me, said Lottie most decisively. Then, after all the dry material which could be collected by groping round in the dark, was gathered in the most sheltered nook, she took from her pocket a delicate lace handkerchief, and, by means of that, lighted the sticks and leaves. Soon they were warming their numb hands and chilled bodies beside a cheerful blaze. Hemstead watched Lottie with wondering and increasing admiration. In securing a fire, they escaped all immediate danger, and she became as cheery as if the disaster, which had threatened even a fatal termination, were only an episode, and the long wintry bivouac in that desolate place but a picnic in the woods. "'You are the queerest girl I ever knew, Lottie,' said Bell. "'She means by that you are the best,' Hemstead added. "'Come, this is no time for compliments but for work.' said Lottie energetically, and she set the forest at it also. The robes were brought from the sleigh, 
and after the snow had been trampled down and cleared away between the fire and the ledge here they were spread addie and bell were at first terror-stricken at the thought of spending the night in the mountains but were made so comfortable that at last their tears ceased our best hope is this brandy said de forest drawing a flask from his pocket nonsense said lottie our best hope is keeping our senses and a good fire but bell and addie were ready enough to take the brandy and were soon sleeping heavily from its effects combined with their exposure to the cold wind lottie could not be prevailed upon to take any i want the use of my senses to-night if ever she said we must take turns in keeping awake and you shall have the first watch julian hemstead at this time was down getting the horses out of the drift that he might tie them near the fire and also under the ledge de forest set to work very zealously under the stimulus of lottie's words and the brandy combined and gathered the brushwood that lay near and piled it on the fire everything seemed to promise well and the wearied girl laid herself down by the side of bell and addie and was soon sleeping as naturally and peacefully as if in her luxurious apartment at home End of chapter 36